Hi, everyone. It's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival. I have a very special guest on this episode in our, with our In the Loop series. Her name is Amy Jasek. She is known by Texas Girl Photography Online, and I also know her from a photography community called the Film Shooters Collective. We will be chatting with her in a sec, but first, we've got to roll through the intro. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. And we're back, and I'd like to welcome Amy to the Classic Camera Revival. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, so, um, and again, I, I know you pretty well, but again, our listeners, um, don't so this is the dreaded open-ended question tell us a little bit about yourself (laughs) (laughs) okay well that's an easy thing to answer because I know myself pretty well um I was born and raised in Waco Texas by um well I mean both my parents were um definitely avid about a lot of things but my dad is a photographer Um, a very passionate film photographer from way back, you know, my dad being dad aged, this is what he grew up with. And um, he had a dark room at their house. So from the time that I was seven, he definitely was kind of indoctrinating me. Um, He gave me a little Olympus 35 RC for Christmas when I was seven. I still remember opening it and um, taught me how to how to use it taught me how to develop film had me in there standing on a stool making prints um I always loved hanging out in the dark room with him um usually I wasn't doing anything I would just kind of like hang out in there you know there's a lot of stuff to look at in a dark room so I definitely grew up around photography um I didn't really come to it myself until I was I guess in my early 20s. I mean, you know how it is. You always have a camera. Well, back then, of course, I always had a little compact film camera, usually something my dad was not using anymore that he'd given that he'd given to me. But um, I went to went to college at the University of Texas in Austin. Uh, I got a major in theater and dance. Um, And then after college, I ended up living in the UK. I lived in London for four years. Yeah, four years. And while I was there, my dad gave me a Canon Rebel, which it was like, it's funny to think of it now because it seems like such a kind of simple camera. But I remember those the Canon Rebels were like a sensation at one time. Oh, yeah. I, I It's funny because my parents gave me a Canon Rebel as a birthday present in my late 20s. I was working for the Canadian head office of Carlson marketing group, which is a marketing service agency that got bought out by another one that got bought out by another one. And well, anyway, they gave me this Canon rebel with this subtle hint, Bill, you're working too hard. You need a hobby. Now in some ways like you, my dad, probably no one near serious, a photographer, but he was in the photography. Like I am still going through the slides. He, photographed in the the 60s and 70s i have i inherited some of his camera equipment so it's sort of like you know that's 
and it, unfortunately, my dad's no hasn't been with us for our, you know, 18, 18 years now. So it's like, that's my tangible memory of him. So it's like using, you know, his old Nikon F mm -hmm. and, and his Leica. And that's sort of like, that's my connection to him to some degree. So again, it's, you know, nowhere near as passionate as your dad, because he never had the dark room, but he sort of dabbled seriously. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, you know, my dad never really, um, did anything with it in the sense that a lot of people try to do something with their photography these days, you know, mm -hmm. but I mean, every day he would come home from work and go straight into the dark room for like mm -hmm. hours and be printing, you know, it was a, a huge part of his life. And it was great to grow up around that, you know, um, he really liked photographing trains. And um, so, uh, you know, I have a lot of memories of being at the railroad tracks with him with his large format cameras putting pennies on the tracks, waiting for a train. I don't know if you're supposed to admit that you put pennies on the track. You yeah, probably <laughs> don't want to, unless that railroad got bought out by another one or it's long to find. It, that that, that uh, might um, be a bad thing to say, especially if it's <laughs> something like, oh, it's Burlington, Northern Santa Fe. Oh, 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 they yeah, do have know. a long memory. Oh, <laughs> but, um, you know, so I have a lot of memories of that, but my dad gave me that camera and I remember being stupefied by this gift. Like, wow, this mm. is like a real camera. And he was like, you know, just, just put it on program mode, just shoot it like that. Like, don't worry about it too much. And so, uh, I took it with me. Um, I went to Rome for four days, which mm. you know isn't that big of a deal when you live in London, it's kind of close. And <clears throat> it was the first time that I had really done any street photography. So I wasn't really aware of it even having a name. I don't know if people called it that in 2000, the early 2000s. I think but, they did. It's, but, again, it's just sort of, you discover it and you think, oh, I'm doing something neat. Then he's like, oh, oh, others have done it. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> but, um, you know, I grew up, I grew up looking at the work of Diane Arbus and I really, um, you know, she really inspired me in terms of just her uh, treating other people, strangers with so much respect. I've this is this is my take on looking at her photography mm -hmm. as a kid, growing up and looking at that uh, monograph book of hers that everybody had. Um, <clears throat> so you know, I was really inspired by that that she brought so much dignity to people in with her photography. Um, so I enjoyed taking pictures of strangers, and when I got those negative ba negatives back, that I was pretty much hooked from then on. And, you know, I remember eventually I went from using the old Kodak, that uh, black and white CN that you could take to get developed at like any old lab. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then my dad was like, well, why don't you try Tri-X? I remember shooting my first roll of Tri-X. Oh, back when it was so much more affordable than it is now. I haven't and shot Tri-X in years. <laughs> I got being in the Great Lakes region, it unfortunately cups like mad. Oh, oh. So I, I'm an Ilford HP5 kind of guy. Uh, and it dries flat. <laughs> right. Hey, listen, the dry flat is a big plus. Oh, yeah. But, you know, over over the years, I, um, you know, that, that was kind of my beginning with it. And then the more time that I could spend with my dad, especially once I moved back to the United States, um, <clears throat> I was living up in New York 
and he gave me a Rolleiflex that had belonged to an old photographer in Waco because he kind of knew a lot of the old uh, newspaper men who mm. had passed away, but he was really friendly with them and inherited basically like all of their stuff. He has a huge collection of historical negatives from Waco. So, you know, for me, I grew up not only with photography, but with a um, an understanding of the importance of history and local mm. and, you know, just all of that. Um, but, you know, so that, that was my introduction to medium format, which I remember thinking, what's the big deal? Like, can it really be that much better? And I saw the negatives and I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. Uh Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, I loved that camera and I loved using it for street photography because I feel like, you know, looking down into it, I'm not um, bringing something up to my face and breaking the connection between, you know, that not putting anything into the space between me and whoever I'm photographing. Um, And plus it feels more subtle it's not as intrusive, I feel like. Well, the advantage of shooting TLR, and again, it's sort of, A, it, it's very retro looking. So people are going to take a look at you and going, yeah, mostly harmless. Right. Two, it's really quiet. And three, because most TLRs, say for the Mamiya uh, C system, they're fixed lenses. So you've got, you got, you got to live with the lens they got. <laughs> yes. Yes. And again, and that, that suits my photography. I don't like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I like to just kind of like stick with a one focal length. I've never been into zoom and stuff like that, but um, anyway, so that, that brought me to that. And obviously I got more technical. My father always was lecturing me like you, Amy, if you want to improve, you're going to have to become more technical which I'm just like, yeah, all right. Like, why do you always have to be right? But I was very fortunate to have him as a teacher. You know, I realized not everyone has that available to them, not only a dark room, but my father's technical knowledge with photography is just like endless because he's Mm -hmm. definitely the sort of person that believes in doing it the right way, you know? So Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, later when he gave me um, a large format camera, he was like, well, what we need to do is you have to figure out exactly like the ASA, like what's the true ASA of this for you with your camera. So you need to do these tests and then you need to test out the development time with like different developers. So, um, you know, it's not fun <laughs> to do no. that. The gray card and everything. But uh, we did it. And um you know, now, since I did that, when I do large format photography, um, you know, I've got my system down. There's not really any guesswork. That doesn't necessarily mean that my negatives look good. Um, but, you know, I know the way that I ought to be doing it. Hmm. So, um, you know, I eventually, when I was living in New York, I built a dark room, but then I dismantled all of it uh, when I moved back to Texas. I was, again, very fortunate that my dad's friends around that time were getting rid of all their darkroom stuff. Um, So I got a really great Omega Enlarger for, I don't know, like 300 bucks or something like that with a bunch of other stuff. And, um, you know, I've got my setup in my garage and I'm able to process my film and make prints and everything. I don't do it as much as I would like 
Um, mm. I photograph a lot, but I don't print a lot because developing film I can do in my kitchen, just kind of like part of my life. But yeah. print, printing takes me away from everything. I'm in sort of the same boat. Um, I live in the suburbs of Toronto, but my girlfriend lives in the city. So every weekend we're together. Right. Sometimes she's at my place. Sometimes I'm at her place. Guess what falls off? Printing. Yeah. Also, I've got a DeVere 504 enlarger that I want to replace. It, it's a condenser head, but I want to replace it with uh, Intrepid. It came out with this LED lamp. Ooh. Yes. And it just sort of changes everything. And wow. I just want to wait and wait a year or two to see any feedback show up on the usual YouTube suspects mm -hmm. who may or may not own a DeVere 504 and find out if it's the real deal. And if it is, then yeah, I will spend the 800 Canadian dollars to get it here and do right. the surgery with my enlarger because it's a great enlarger. It's just the incandescent light bulbs are getting thin on the ground and I'm missing the condenser crystals for medium format. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have, I have a condenser enlarger. That's what I used in New York. Um, and I found it very challenging. The Omega with the color head that I have, of course, is what I grew up learning to print on. Um, and yeah, I, I find that much easier to print on. Although I can definitely do really thin negatives easily with the, the condenser, but it's not set up in my dark room right now. It's in mm. a corner in the garage. Um, but yeah, in terms of my own photographic journey, like I feel like I, I wish that I had done more photography than I did when I lived in New York, but you know, mm. life has different seasons and <clears throat> part of that time I was pregnant and then I had a newborn. So, you know, there was a lot of time up there where I had a much, a different and higher priority in my life. Then exactly. one, um, I think about around about 2012, I started photographing again um, in Texas and I've just made tons and tons of photos. That's uh, I think when our, our paths started to cross within yeah. the collective and we'll get to that a little bit later. But again, it's sort of like you wind up, photographing what's around you and it's like and you, and you just sort of and again i can see where you get the ansel the influences from ansel adams pop in particularly with you know just heading out and just out of way are you in waco right now no i live north of austin it's a place okay so out of where you live and just go out and drive and just see what's out there on the side of the road yeah yeah, I that yeah, that's the the most recent project that I did. Um I went all over the county. Um I got invited to be part of a a local film photography festival and the man that invited me said that they really wanted for at least 3 of the photographs to be from the county because it was the 175th anniversary of the county. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I mean, this is just kind of how I operate. I thought, well, I'm not going to give you three. I'm going to make an entire new project. All of my work is going to be mm -hmm. from the county. And it was so fun because, I mean, you know how it is when you live somewhere, you don't necessarily, um, you know, you don't necessarily get off your beaten path as often as you might like to. 
So mm-hmm. I use this as an excuse to really just get out there and see the farther reaches of the county that I hadn't been to before. A lot of the places that I went to, I had never been to before. Mm-hmm. So, and that's always fabulous when you're photographing to have something new, looking at something fresh. Um, oh, yeah. you know, first impression, you know. And it, you just sort of like, wow, I did not know this existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the areas that I went to, it, it's a really small, because a lot of the county is very rural. And, you know, it's like this rural community. There's, I don't even think, I mean, there wasn't a stoplight or anything. And there was a few houses. There were no shops, but there was a huge Catholic church. Absolutely huge. Out just in the middle of what seemed like nowhere. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, it makes you think about the history of the place. Hmm. Uh, like, were there more people? around there maybe in years past um you know it it definitely made me want to know more about the history Mm. um of the county in general and i've kind of been asking people uh there's a museum in the town where they're having the festival that's uh all about the county history and stuff like that so i'm you know, I'm interested to learn more, but yeah, like that experience of just going out and seeing what you find. Um, that's mm-hmm. always exciting. Oh yeah. Like, um, it's sort of like lately, well, past few years, especially when we wound up in lockdown, I literally explored my own neighborhood a lot more within the first six months. Then later I, you know, started venturing out a little further inside Halton region, which is just west of Toronto. And it's like, there are, again, nooks and crannies, like there are conservation areas where, you know, you never knew existed. And it's like, wow, these are some pretty challenging hikes. And <laughs> then you realize, wow, this is why they called the town Halton Hills, Halton Hills. And it's, it doesn't look like much from the road, but when you're hiking it, it's like, but then if you're into like macro work or, or landscape, you're, you're in heaven and you're not far from, you know, we're probably the fifth, fourth or fifth biggest metropolitan area in North America. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, it just, and in my other project that I'm working on more in the past year and a half is documenting Midtown Toronto, because it is changing at a very rapid rate. Like we've got, probably the most construction cranes up in the continent right now. It's like areas that I've known for years and years. Cause I, you know, I went to school locally, but it's the landscape is just all of a sudden changing in the, in a blink of an eye. And it's like, Oh, what happened to my old haunt? Yeah. We, a we have that story condo. Yeah. Right. We have that a lot here. Like a lot of the, of the smaller communities, um, you know, because Austin is, the whole area around Austin is growing so much. I mean, it's just unrecognizable from when I went there in mm. college. Honestly, I don't really like it as much anymore, but um, you know, some of the smaller communities, like they're building like a Samsung place. And I know that that's going to change it just fundamentally. Mm-hmm. So everything around here has changed so much. And there's another photographer who is honestly like way more talented than me that lives out in Taylor, Texas. Um, and he, um, he's really made it a mission to document, document that area. The Blackland Prairie is what it's called because Mm -hmm. he knows that it's, his days are numbered, you know, 
if you've got huge things like Samsung coming in. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's, it's hard. It, it Honestly, it hurts my heart to see it, like to see the wild areas go, but I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, at least I can photograph it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And I think it's part of our, I guess, other duties as assigned as photographers is to document the reality around us while we can. Yes. And I think that about, you know, when I lived, when I lived overseas and I was able to go, I I didn't get to travel much, but like I went to Prague and I have a picture that I always think about when I'm out and about now, because I took a picture just at this street somewhere in Prague and there's a huge wall of people waiting to cross the street and they're all just standing there because, um, People didn't have cell phones and the smartphone didn't exist. So they're all standing there and you can see all of their faces because they are all looking forward. And I think about that photograph and I think how differently it would look now. Oh, I think it'll be, it'll be like anywhere on planet earth. Everyone's looking at their Samsung, whatever. Yeah. And, and it'll be like, it could be Prague. It could be Tokyo. It could be like London. It could be like, I don't know, Chicago, it doesn't matter. They're all going to like looking yeah. down at their phone. Um, I don't know. It's like, I've noticed, I, again, snooping around your, your, your website, you've done some professional work and I see the Diane Arbus influence in that. Do you do a lot of professional shooting or is it just mostly sort of a, a side hustle? Well, um, I'll tell you, I decided that I would give it a go and start a business and I did all the I did it all legit, you know, filed the paperwork and got the tax forms and did all of that stuff. And I set myself up and I had about two clients. Mm. <laughs> um, I think I had two that were strangers that like, and, and, otherwise, the, re- and the rest is like extended family. Hey, or just like, yeah, Maybe. like two like two people wanted me to do headshots that knew me. And then I had one or two that I put an ad on Craigslist. Mm. But some of the responses I got from Craigslist made me a little bit uncomfortable. So I decided not to um, advertise there anymore. But mm. I um, also put in an application to work for, um, oh, GoDaddy. Is that what it's called? Maybe Maybe it's someone else now. It was a, it was GoDaddy. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with GoDaddy. They, yeah, I, I they might have been called something else before. I, I can't remember. I feel bad that I can't remember. But um, so I started working for them kind of freelance. And that was terrific because it was usually just like maybe an hour, an hour and a half of work doing like web content mm-hmm. photography. And this was all digital. Um, and you, I just sent them the raw files. Because the post-processing is a part that I dislike. Well, so. I, it's funny because I think a lot of people, I was having a chat with uh, a member of the Toronto Film Shooters Facebook group. We did a photo walk recently in the West End. He works as a colorist in the the, uh, in the film industry. Oh, wow. So he's the guy who gets all that vision stock if they shoot a movie. He's the last guy who sees it. He color corrects it all. Oh, wow. 
and he is the great and he and again it's uh, he, he is a he, i've seen his color photography and he left sitting here going and again it's just how he kind of is scanning protocol and then turns around into lightroom and then just corrects it all and it's like bang right. on because that's what he does for a living <laughs> yeah I, yeah i'm not real good with color scanning and all of that but i still very much prefer you know i prefer shooting color film because uh you know the film does the work for me but i anyway i was really enjoying that with GoDaddy, and i would have liked to have had more and more and more um i liked the experience of going out into the community and meeting people. And also I felt like I was providing a service that was helping people since I was taking photographs that would be used on their website. You know, I think everybody deserves to have a real photographer, give them web content, not Mm -hmm. someone with a phone taking pictures. I think you deserve to have good photos, you know, for whatever it is. Yeah. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. But then 2020 came and all of that income stream uh, ended, and then they were going. The city, whatever state, um, was going to charge me a lot of property taxes. The way that I had my business set up, and I thought, okay. you know, I am not making anything. I am making zero dollars. This doesn't make sense. So you pulled so the shingle down, and it's I, I shut it all down. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's funny. I have never done photography professionally. I, I have done. I've done th- two professional jobs. One of them was a wedding that I was done under duress. I will never shoot a wedding ever again. <laughs> no, no, we're just going to say no. <laughs> I did. I did. I forgot. I did one. Um, in my little tiny professional stint, but it was a very small backyard wedding. Um, so it was very low stress. Mm, and in no. fact, I, found, I found out later that they had actually already gotten married. They were doing a redo because they had gotten married at some destination um, because her grandma hadn't been able to be there. You wouldn't have known it, <laughs> but um, that, that was my only wedding experience. I, I liked, I liked doing the professional work. I even enjoyed like, doing the commercial work, like plates of food, things like that. It was a wonderful, amazing feeling to get paid for Mm -hmm. using my photographic skills. That was just like the best feeling on earth. Um, But in terms of being self-employed, that's really not something that I want to do. Um, It's, you know, that's just a whole other direction you know self-employment and just having to rely upon the work coming to you I think that if I was relying on that for my income it would be a stress that I wouldn't be able to take Mm. Um, and in terms of trying to do the art side of photography and like make a living on that (laughs) I wish that that I think we all wish but that's yeah the reality is we're doing it for joy Yes. And if we sell a couple of prints along the way, that's even better. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I can't say that I would never do professional work again. I mean, I I don't know what the future holds, um, but it was a good experience. And I certainly learned a lot about like starting a business and 
all of that stuff. Until the now times intervened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, different seasons of life, like it's fine. <laughs> there you go. So you, you tend to, prefer, most of your work is black and white. And uh, is that sort of instinctual for you or is it sort of like, that's what you just were just handed when you were young and you're just sort of stuck with it. I think, I think that could be part of it just growing up um, seeing the black and white, but also I really, what appeals to me is that um, I have my hands in the process every step of the way, mm-hmm. you know, with a lot of 30, my 35 millimeter film, I'm still buying bulk rolls. So, you know, oh. I roll it, I, I process it myself. I, and then I can make, Prints, you know, I like the idea that I can make a, a print from it. Oh yeah, um, I, and and I don't like I I while I think that the extremely expensive digital camera that I now own, thanks to my professional work, while I think that it renders color beautifully, I don't like the way the black and white looks. I I just don't like it. I, you know, I like things to be organic. Well, and that's, it's the, funny. The, the black and white process to me is just completely organic, you know? And um, I mean, even when it comes to the chemistry, like color chemistry makes me really nervous. I I know how to process the film, but I've ruined roles before by pushing the chemistry too far. You know, I feel like there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more variables, a lot more things that can go wrong. Well, color, Color color processing is very temperature dependent. And I'm very fortunate to have a color lab within a, a short drive for me. So then it's just like, I just drive over, drop the rolls off, pick them up a couple hours later, and that's the end of it. I scan at home. I used to. The, <laughs> the, the results wind up online a little later on. And I usually, I tend to put my color photos into zines more. Mm. whereas black and white again historically had copious free time print in the dark room yes i think you know i I think i I just lean more towards black and white anyway Mm. you know i like how it uh you know it almost ends uh adds an not abstraction to it but you know there's lots of people that have said it better than me there's all kinds of great quotes out there about the difference between black and white and color, you know, color sort of makes it more real, I think. Um, but certainly there are times that I think, well, this is this is a color film moment. You know, yeah. even a, a place that we usually go in the spring, um, Big Bend National Park, is beautiful. Like it's desert and black and white photographs from there are nice, but... I definitely feel like after the first time I went there with a film camera and really made some photos, I came back and I only made a few color ones. And I thought, I wish I had made more color that I brought the color of the desert because I feel like, you know, that's what I love about the different color films because you can get so many moods from, there's so many to choose from now. Oh God, there's like a, I really, the last summer I was shooting was Sin Still 400D. I love that film. It's Yeah, I just started using that. But, you and, know, there's a difference between Portra, like 160, 400, 
800 hectare, yeah. you know, and you can really bring back, I think, the the character of a place with. Um, it's just that then my color film sits for a really long time until I force myself to buy some chemistry kits and yeah, well, labor. There you go. <laughs> I'm lucky. I tend to shoot through my inventory, and I've got one film stock you should look into. It's. Kodak Arrow Color, which is a surveil a color surveillance film. Camera store in Finland sells it as Santa Color 100. Flick Film out of Longview, Alberta, calls it Electra 100. Hmm. And I think there's one company out of Quebec, and oddly enough, two Canadian comp two Canadian firms are doing it. Like they're selling it. I think Flick Film Electra you can get for like fourteen dollars US or all. Hmm. It's roughly 100 ISO and, uh, oh boy, very sharp, very fine grained. Well, I, well, we'll talk about this because I definitely want to know the name of that. I want to, I want to check it out. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy shooting with it. It's, it's an interesting one. I only shot one roll at the end of November. And again, I, I sort of think the light behaves differently the further north you go latitude wise, especially when you go into the fall winter, because mm. you get more red infrared influence from the, the sun, the rays of the sun when it hits the atmosphere at a certain angle, which will behave different than if you're down in Texas where it's a little more right straight on. So again, mileage may vary. You may have to tinker a little bit, but then once you figure it out, it's like, oh, wow. You you really you really will let you. I think you really love this film. Yeah, well, thank you. I I love trying different films. <laughs> I don't, mm. you know, I don't really, um, I don't deviate that much when it comes to black and white. That, that's another thing that my father always was on me about. He's like, pick a film stock and stick with it. Then you've got your system, and you don't, um, you know, you it's like you develop a relationship with it, and mm. you, you know how it's going to perform. Um. So um, I use Triax and I use Ilford as well, HP5, but I usually stick to 400 film with black and white. Now with color though, I mean, I want to try them all. <laughs> mm. So, um, you know, and, and sometimes, I mean, there was a period of time when I would take them to the lab. It's just, for me, it's more of a 45 minute drive. Oh, and I just, you know, also really it is cheaper to do it yourself. Like 25 bucks. I can get the kit that I could do 15 rolls with, mm. or I could spend $7 a roll getting it done. So it's kind of hard to argue with that, but um, yeah. Anyway, I know that you wanted me to talk about film shooters collective as well. Yeah. We're going to, I was yeah. just going to, we're going to segue into that. It's like, yeah, we, yeah. we met through the film shooters collective. And again, I, we're a tiny little community that, that just sort of off doing our thing. And again, it's, you're deeply involved with it along with a, like a small other group of uh, like uh, Barbara and uh, Ellen. But again, you're sort of like your name, sort of you're, you're almost that public name that, that goes to the top of it. Oh, am I really? Wow. <laughs> In my um, universe you are the other okay. one's <laughs> well water. yeah you know I'm I'm so grateful for that group and it was definitely you know I feel like I was in photography for a long time before I actually started 
participating in it online. Mm -hmm. But I mean, then again, I mean, you and I both have seen the internet kind of come up and how it has increased its presence in our lives in general. Um, Because when I first built my darkroom up in New York, I like joined this artist guild and I was really excited there and like took part in some shows and stuff. But, you know, that was one thing getting involved in it online. is just this whole other animal. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me when I think about it and what it kind of can do to you psychologically also. So I can't remember exactly how I found out about film shooters collective collective. I think there was something that happened in some film Facebook group where there was some controversy. Yeah, that, I, that that got that's almost par for course. It's like, right. like a kind of like wow, and seeing a sort of a meltdown within a community because you know you got two I don't know strong-willed personalities and neither neither is willing to give. Yes. And I can't remember what the controversy was, but I I do remember that I had somehow recently gotten to kind of know Ruby through possibly that group. And she sent me a message and she was like, hey, this is crazy. You should check out Film Shooters Collective. It seems like it's a really good place. So I did and I joined it. I remember I was like so excited and um, got to know everybody and um, you know, Cameron had his own struggles and journey that he went through with trying to wrangle the group and he was doing it all himself. Yeah. That, yeah. You can't micromanage. Like I, I administer a couple of photography communities online. Uh, And yeah, the, the moral of the story is have help. Oh yeah. Strategically placed around the world. So when you sleep and there's a problem, the problem's dealt with. That's right. Ideally, you want someone in Australia. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, I remember I reached out to Cameron because, again, there was some sort of just craziness going on. And I was like, hey, would you like help? Like, you know, I could run the Instagram if you want to pass that off. And he was like, that would be great. So, Hmm. you know, that was, oh, man, I think we had like 300 followers on our Instagram at that point. Oh, that thing just grew exponentially. (laughs) Oh, really did once we put that hashtag out there um it just it it did it i mean it amazes me that people you know people came to it and they keep coming to it and they keep appreciating it you know i i think it's wonderful it's just um yeah it it amazes me but after that i know he kind of eventually um recognized that he needed more help and so for a while there was kind of a team of us that were working really Mm. really hard on the website it was like between the website and the instagram it was just like a full-time job but what we what we did during that period when we were all able to really put our heads down and devote ourselves to it um was terrific and i mean i'm so proud of what all of us did you know not just the people that were working but all of us as a group and as a collective um it's fantastic and again and again i feel so grateful to have found that group because everybody there's so much 
talent in it and there's so much knowledge and there's so much respect and you know i've got awesome. a film shooters collective story for you what's that okay let's roll back back pre-pandemic time toronto film shooters set up a, a photo outing in niagara on the lake i tossed the photo outing information onto the film shooters collective figuring you know i was the ambassador for i guess southern ontario western new york because i who else was there myself then my brother and then my friend john and that was basically it so i toss it out there so i were at this place called the exchange brewery in downtown niagara on the lake a very pretty little town just sort of i want to say about 35 minute drive from Buffalo mm -hmm. to give you a rough idea on the Canadian side. Okay. So I'm there. Guess who shows up? Jennifer Zayner and Colin Pellio from the film shooters collective. They wow. road trip from New York city <laughs> and New Jersey. And, and I was just like, wow, <laughs> this has power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. But that's, you know, that's another really great thing about it. I have managed to meet a number of people from the collective in person. I mean, mm. I think the last time I was in Tennessee, we stayed at Ruby's house. Yeah, um, Ruby is someone I want to meet. Now, granted, I haven't seen her do much work lately, but then she's been running that porch bakery 24-7 almost. I don't know where she finds the energy, and I feel like I've gained 50. I've erased the 15 pounds I've lost by just looking at what she's baked for that morning. <laughs> I know. I told her, I'm like, I wish that we were neighbors, but I'm also kind of glad that we aren't neighbors because. I well, would it's probably a two day that. drive for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's um, probably a good thing. <laughs> but even um, like uh, the most recently, I guess the most recent member that I've met because I know there's, there's been other people and there are some people that live like around here also. Um, mm -hmm. I met, Cam I did get to meet Cameron. He came to Austin one time. Oh, um, cool. but what's, I what's went to these days. Cause it's sort of like he fell off the grid. Um, he's, he's doing the dad thing. Uh, okay. Well, he's busy. <laughs> yeah. He's very busy with his kiddos. Um, but I went to Policon which the Instant Film Society puts on. I had seen it. I know a they, few people from up here like going down to that. Yeah, I had seen them talk about it for years, but I'd never been because it was always the same day as, uh, it was always the same weekend as World Cyanotype Day, which I was very tied up with. But um, I went and I met um, Jen Brimage, who is in Film Shoes Collective. She's joined within the last few years, I think. Um and also Enrique came like from Spain. I was so excited wow. to meet him in person. So um yeah, that was that was terrific. I uh, I feel terrible. There might have been someone else there from the oh from the collective. I feel like there probably was. Whoever it is, I apologize for forgetting you, but um yeah, it's so great that we like you know, that we've stuck it out as a group, that we're still mm -hmm. doing things, that we're able to like meet in person. There's just, I think it's a really special thing. And well, I like the fact that it exists beyond just cyberspace, you know? Oh, exactly. 
know, we've had our shows. Um, we've had, I mean, it's been a while since there's been any kind of get together, but hopefully we can get back to having things like that. Um, you know, it's like, I like that. It's, it's a real, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really special. Yeah. And I'm, I've, I remember we've done a group show in Spain. Yeah, we've done that. I had to remember yeah. exactly. Did we officially do that? Or it's like, I'm going in my mind going, Oh, no, we, no we did it at, at Revela, like at least twice. I mean, we did mm-hmm. one, we did that one in 2021 that I put together with like poetry. Yeah. But, but that one, um, that one was a little bit of a less traditional in terms of the way that it was framed, but we did another one before that too. Mm. Uh, I feel terrible. I can't remember exactly what year that was, but, and then we had our group show in St. Louis also. Yeah. A few years ago. So, and hopefully we'll be able to have some in the future. <laughs> um, just- I might just have to throw some photo walk info on the film shooters uh, Facebook community and see who shows up in Toronto. Yeah, you should do that. We are a hub city, by the way. (laughs) After winter. (laughs) Well, yeah. um, We haven't got much winter this year. Oh, really? Well, we've been sort of bouncing around the mid-30s Fahrenheit. And it's like, usually this time of year, whether regardless if you're measuring in Celsius or Fahrenheit, it's bloody cold. Right. It's not that cold. And that scares me. Right. <laughs> Maybe That's it's the case of species and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, honestly, it's not that cold right now. You know, we've had ice and stuff like that, but it's not, you know, I, th- I think it's maybe upper 20s right now. It's not really that cold. That's not bad. And again, no. it's not, it's not the like the be- the huge ice storm that knocked you guys out. Yeah, that it was a lot colder then for a lot longer and what we got around here certainly was far worse so i'm i'm glad you know i had my experience with winter during the six years that i lived in new york and that was enough winter for me for the entire rest of my life i'm very happy but you have never experienced winter (laughs) i I did shovel snow but there you go that was enough winter for me um and yeah i'm quite happy to be down here where you know if, if i never saw it again that would be fine Mm. <laughs> yeah i was also thinking it's uh again it, it's sort of it's the it's the the climate and, and landscape you're used to and again that's how you that's when i looked at your your work on your site it's like yes this feels like texas oh right yeah <laughs> and it, it just i love how you captured it oh thank you so much well, I've, I've really been enjoying, um, you know, my boyfriend and I have been able to make some road trips for like the last five years in the summertime. We've been able to drive and go around the Southwest a little bit, just like New Mexico and mm. Colorado. And that's always really exciting. And I feel like uh, us doing that kind of coincided with us, with me moving away from doing so much street photography. Mm. So it's been, it's been interesting to work in a different way um, and to just explore kind of like landscape and things like that instead. But it's, 
you know, it's exciting to get to see a new place, but mm. there's more of a challenge in photographing an old place. <laughs> well, a place that you're familiar with, but that it's changing. Yes. And all the variables are changing because even it's like light and climate, it all plays a role because you probably yeah. have like, like I'm just thinking of in my, in my circumstances, there's going to be, there are times when this, it's just the light is perfect and anything just looks good. And the rest of the time it's, wow, gray skies <laughs> or gray skies, still gray skies. <laughs> Yeah, those were challenging times. That's why when I when I did my project around the county, I was doing that. Um, I basically started as soon as my daughter went back to school, so mm -hmm. it was still really hot. It was like August. Um, I did it during August and September, mm -hmm. but I knew I was like, well, this. I mean, the sky was great. At, like every day, it was big puffy clouds and great oh, light and. Yes. So I was like, I am doing this now. I will wear myself out getting all of this done because, you know, it might start raining and it might rain every day. I don't know what the weather's going to do, but um, I got it, you know, I got it done at a good time of year. You got to take advantage of that while you can. Well, that said, I have photographed in the middle of a snowstorm in downtown Toronto. And oddly enough, it was utterly miserable. Like you would be crying. <laughs> but I got some of the best photos I've seen in ages for winter photography. And it's just like, I'm left going, Whoa, there's just not a bad frame on this roll. Right. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a great feeling. Oh, I know. It, you, you then just, Oh, this is gold. Cause it's like the streets are almost empty. Right. Cause no sane human goes out in the middle of a snowstorm. <laughs> yeah. We went after, after we had, that those days of snow a couple of years ago, um, I was like, okay, like it's not, it's warmed up a little bit. Like it, maybe it's like 30 degrees now, like let's go for a walk. And so we went, I live kind of close to like a little, I don't know if it's a reservoir, a little lake mm -hmm. and there's some trees around it and stuff. And um, I photographed all of that, but it's hard to photograph snow, you know, getting that exposure, right. Is really yeah, not you exposed to stops. Yeah. I, you know, it's like you look at it through the camera and you see one thing and then you develop the film and it's like, oh, and instant film is a nightmare in that kind of situation because, you know, it takes 30 minutes to develop or something like that because it's so cold outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Instant is temperature uh, dependent. Although I have noticed recently that the Fuji, like the Instax film, doesn't seem to react as badly to cold as Polaroid does. Mm. I had a recent experience. I took, I took my Polaroid camera and I <laughs> took my Instax wide and the Instax wide was fine under the cold dreary mm. circumstances. Like the pictures came out great, but the Polaroid just, I know that if it had been warmer um, the photographs would have looked a lot better, but of course, you know, the whole point of using Polaroid is not, to have a perfect picture oh of course anyway. not. well not current <laughs> polaroid not the you know the era of the peel apart sadly is like i got a friend she's still sitting on some fuji pack film and she shoots with it and what she gets out of it is just insanely good yeah i have 
I have a few packs in my freezer um, that I'm not willing to get rid of. Um, so I'm like, well, you never know. Maybe I'll have something that I can use to <laughs> saving it for just the right situation. So you can still buy it, but I think you have to have like inherited wealth in order to afford getting much. <laughs> well, you know, I've seen Brooklyn film camera. Yes. We, another Manhattan pro photographer sold off like, a chest freezer's worth of like pro pack Fuji pro packs, you know, instant film. And it's like, yeah, I might as well just hold a stick up an armored car at this. In fact, it was probably transported by armored card from whatever studio was it in Soho to wherever Brooklyn film camera has their distribution center. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. It was an extraordinary horde of film. It, it blows my mind to think that someone owned like one person had all of that. It's amazing. I think, well, yeah, I think just I retired and it's like, <laughs> I got friends who would do a, it would be like an oceans 11, like heist just to get half of that. <laughs> I know. I look. I looked at it because I thought, you know, I never had a chance to shoot the black and white version, and I thought, well, maybe I'll treat myself and get a pack. And then I was like, oh no, never mind. <laughs> I saw the prices, and I was like, no, that's okay. I'll let other yeah, people have that. My friend Jessica, she uh, Jessica Cosmac, she shoots. I think she has a few boxes left, and she's just she just says, look, I'm just going to use it, and once it's gone, that's it. Yeah, it was a fun ride uh, until I don't know Polaroid comes up with an equivalent thereof. I keep hoping that someone will do it. I mean, I know that some people have like released some peel apart film that they're making by hand, and it's you know it's as expensive as ultra large format sheet film. Yeah, and uh, you might as well just go into that because you know you're going to get every a decent result. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it's a tough one because it's a it's a really niche product and yeah, and there's other interesting stuff in the queue that's coming up. Like uh, I know Mint is coming up with a 35 millimeter compact camera. Yeah, I saw that. I can't I can't wait to see what it's going to be. I'm I signed up for the updates for that. So. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that because I remember there was people trying to resurrect an SLR, but I think they got a little too ambitious. Mm. And they should have just aimed for something like a Pentax KM. In the end, they sort of like, yes, we're going to have interchangeable backs that captures EXIF data. And, st and it's just like, no, 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 no. Wow. Yeah. Simple SLR with center weighted metering. That's all we want. It goes to one yeah. thousandth of a second. That's all we need. Let's aim for that. No, the guy, the guy, the brainchild behind it was just, uh, he meant well, but really didn't have the technical background to stick handle the project conclusion. So it died on the vine. No, that's too bad. No, uh, I'm hoping Mint can get that compact camera off the ground because I think there is there is a strong market for it. Oh yeah, I, I guarantee that lots of people are very interested. Uh, not that I need another camera. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of <laughs> not buying other cameras. In fact, I'm trying to get some repaired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, my favorite, honestly, you know, you're 
said that your dad or that you have your dad's Nikon F. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, my dad gave me his Nikon F that he apparently, because he, over the years, he bought and sold lots of different systems, but he kept all of his Nikon F stuff specifically to give to me. And mm. I tell you, it's just a wonderful camera. The lenses are amazing. Oh, the Nikkor glass, the pre-AI glass is just. Yeah. I, I, I don't have any lenses that compare to that honestly mm-hmm. not with any of my other cameras and i mean i got a one of the a contacts camera you know the zeiss lenses i've had really high expectations honestly it just doesn't hold a candle to the the old nikon lenses it's beautiful yeah the pre-77 glass is it's just amazing mm-hmm. and it amazes yeah, think- me and it's sort of like it's uh, I, every once in a while i'm kind of tight tempted to Hey, maybe I can roll my nickels and dimes together, get maybe like a Leica, Leica Flex SL2 and some Arglass. Then you look at what Arglass goes for. And then it's like, then I'm looking at, you know, the Nikon F2. And I got a bunch of them. And it's like, hey, man, this works just as well. And it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, I know. My dad told me um, that he had a Leica and he didn't like it. Mm. He sold it like a long time ago, of course, I was thinking like, wow, dad, it's too bad you didn't hold on to that and sell it now. But I remember him explaining to me like the difference between the the lenses that the Leica, Leica went for sharpness and Nikon went for contrast. And that with contrast, you get, you get sharpness kind of along with it. Um, I don't know, you know, he knows all this, he knows all the technical stuff. So he would talk to me about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, also there's a difference between the SLR and the rangefinder there as well but yeah i you know i feel like i I think to myself i don't know why i mess around trying to find something else like this because i already have what i like best in the (laughs) it's not autofocus though and the older i get the more i'm well, yeah, I, I've I've grown to appreciate my Nikon F5 and F100 that much more. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I have a Canon. I mean, I upgraded from the um from the Rebel. Um, I actually was using um, a T2 that my dad had given me, which was really nice and compact, and it had a great kind of grip thing on it. But the shutter curtain went out, so. Okay. Uh, but I had all these Canon lenses and I thought, well, I don't want to just like, I'm not going to just get rid of all this. So I got a Canon three body. It's a lot bigger, but mm. um, you know, the, those in terms of autofocus, it, I'm happy using that. You know, when you've yeah. already got the whole system, like may as well. Just well, you might it. as well, you might as well just get a nicer body and be done with it. And uh... yeah. Because if I was going to get a Nikon, I thought, well, I'll still have to get all new lenses because all the only Nikon lenses that I have are the ones for the F. So, you know. Yeah, then you'd need AFD or G glass, and that's some serious money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Technically, not so much since Nikon with, went to mirrorless because they went to an all new lens mount. Oh. <clears throat> I didn't realize that. But. Oh well. Anyway, can't go wrong with a Canon three. They're nice. Like I borrowed a friend's Canon EOS one uh, once, and that's 
Well, I, I kind of indirectly blame him for me wanting to get an, an F-100 and later the F-5. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it, it's like, this is insanely brilliant technology, but it's, I'm not used to Canon autofocus at all. Like I'm like stumbling into door frames. Oh, Whereas wow. an Nikon form, form factor, the ergonomics like, oh, I understand this because I already own a pair of Nikon N90Ss. So it's like, Okay, F100 is just an, F, an updated F90 uh, N90s, and then it's like the F5. It's like, well, it's like going from a, a rusted out Nissan Micra to like a McLaren supercar. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to go with what works for you, you know. Yeah. So. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. And uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of the F5, especially if I am shooting color. Because it's gotten more expensive, it's like, yeah, I want it in a camera where I, you know, a really good meter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another thing about color. I definitely have to be a lot more careful about my exposure, especially if you're using slide film. Exactly. Really doesn't like to be overexposed at all. Nope. (laughs) So, um just trying to think here because we've rambled is there something we haven't covered that you want the world to know that i want the world to know uh i don't know (laughs) Nothing nothing comes to mind i mean if i think about things um about you know, Film Shooters Collective, it's like, I don't know, but a lot of people probably already know how to get involved with that kind of thing, like mm. the Instagram, like the hashtag or, um, yeah, I've been trying to get, I've been trying to step stuff up a little bit more lately to try to get the, you know, more content on the website. Um, but, oh, my computer just made a noise. Did you hear a noise? I heard a noise. Okay, I'm not sure what that was, but um, probably messenger. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, I don't think we have a whole lot going there. And I don't. I don't know if you want to share something about like if you care to share the collective's website and Instagram details. Yeah, we can do that with the show notes. Yeah, uh, that would be the only thing that I can think. Can't really think of yeah. anything else. So, yeah. Is there anything, I mean, is there anything else that you wanted? Off the top of my head, it's one of those usual, I'll wrap it up in about a day or two later. Damn it, I should have asked Amy that. (laughs) It always happens that way. (laughs) (laughs) It always happens that way. (laughs) Okay. Well, I guess we've reached that point in the show. We've got to wrap it up. So it's Uh, This is Bill Smith, uh, wishing everyone a great week and shoot lots of film. This is Amy J. Singh saying thank you so much for having me. And um, I appreciate all of you out there listening. And I hope you feel inspired to shoot more film.